everyone, and welcome to So Mindful Podcast, where we dig into the tips, tricks, and topics that will help you have great fun making clothes that make you feel fabulous. I'm your host, Jackie Blakemore of So Much More Fun, and without further ado, let's get into this week's exciting episode. Well, hello, lovely listeners, and welcome to episode nine of the So Mindful podcast. I'm delighted to be back here again with you this week, and today it's just me on my own, so you get to hear me talk about a topic that's really close to my heart. So in the description of the episode, you might have seen a headline which said, Woman saves world by making own clothes. And that might sound a bit melodramatic. Because many people see dressmaking as a hobby or a luxury. But what if learning to make your own clothes could actually save the world? Well, I'm here to talk about why I think that might be the case and to try and persuade you all of my point of view. So before we get started, I need to give you a warning, like they do on the TV programmes where they say some viewers might find the following scenes upsetting. Well, some listeners may find some of the stats in this episode upsetting, and whilst I don't want to bring the mood down, I think it's important for us to be aware of the impact of some of our decisions so that we can take conscious responsibility for our choices and the things that we do and what we buy and where we spend our money. So a couple of years ago, I went back to college to study fashion. As part of the course, we had a lesson which was entitled Fashion in Society, taught by a fabulous lady called Liz. And so on a Monday afternoon, we used to traipse up to the top floor of the Adams Building in Nottingham and we would sit there and talk about the impact that fashion had had on society through the ages. And after each of these lessons, we would then go away and do an assignment. And so one of the assignments that we had that we had to write up about was the kind of impact of fashion on the environment And I've been dressmaking for quite a long time before I went back to college and I've never really said I was a fashion guru or anything like that. And so I hadn't really paid a huge amount of attention to the fashion industry. I just tended to buy my clothes that I liked. I'd always be looking for a bargain and, you know, just like everybody else really, just trying to get things that I enjoyed wearing and supplementing that with some of the things that I was making as part of my dressmaking. But what I found in doing my research for that particular topic really upset me and really changed my mind about the impact that those decisions and that unconscious buying cycle was having. And so I just wanted to share some of those facts with you. So I was looking at some of the stats in doing my research for my homework for that course. And here are some of the things that I found. So on average, we buy 60% more clothing now compared with the year 2000. But we keep a garment for only half as long So we're wearing things for less time and we are um, then doing something with that. By 2030, there are forecast to be 5.4 billion people um, on the planet, which is an increase from 3 billion in 2015. And most of that's going to be in the global middle class, which means there's going to be an increase in demand for fashion. In the UK, the average person creates up to 30 kilograms of textile landfill each year resulting in 2.35 million tonnes of textile waste. And that was one of the ones that really shocked me. And a study by Sainsbury's found that 75% of UK consumers discard clothes as domestic waste, even though 95% of them could be reused or recycled. 
And these are the kind of stats that, you know, we don't want to hear this. There's lots of publicity about um, plastics. And yes, that is definitely a big factor. But we could all be doing something about even just that particular statistic where if you have something that you don't want any longer, then take it to the charity shop or take it to your local recycling centre and make sure it does get reused and recycled. The other thing that astonished me was the impact of just creating the clothes has on the world. So there was quite a lot of stats in my research around the water consumption and the impact of just producing things like cotton on the environment. So just to break things up, here's a clip from the Stacey Dooley Investigates programme that was on BBC Three. Large bodies of water are disappearing because cotton is so thirsty. Before I started travelling for this documentary, I knew almost nothing. I was fairly familiar what went down from a human perspective, the human cost, but the environmental cost, yeah, I wasn't informed at all. Hello, how are you? I'm Stacey, nice to see you. Thank you. Um, Can we borrow you for five minutes? What have you been buying? My mum bought this. She bought a jacket. So show me what you've got in your bag. Ah, so a hoodie? Yeah. And is it cotton? Yep. This is 100% cotton. Brilliant, interesting. So, how much water, Johnny, do you think has gone in to grow in the cotton necessary to make this jacket? Probably about 800. 800? Yeah. Mm, 70 litres? 20, 30 litres? 20 or 30 litres? Yeah. Growing the cotton yeah. to make that jacket yeah. will have taken 10,300. And 30 litres of water just to grow the cotton to make that jacket. 24 years of drinking water for one person. 24 years. That's wild, right? That is wild. It's crazy. That shocks you? It does shock me, yeah. Do you really need that jacket as much as someone needs 10,000 litres of water? No. I'm sorry to get upset, but it's. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me why you're so yeah, because, emotional about that fact. Yeah, because I know people they are struggling to get water for, 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 for drink or to wash or to cook. And we are using for making this. You make me feel bad here. I mean <laughs> gotta go return it. Does it make you think that you might shop differently or you might give oh, a yes. bit more thought? From today, I learned something. I think I'm going to change my way I shop. Really? Oh, yes. You really mean that? It's yes, very easy I to mean say. It. I swear. I mean it. <laughs> oh, my God. I do truly believe that it's not that people don't care. We're just not informed. So I'm absolutely the worst because I'm a nightmare. I shop all the time. And so I don't think we know enough. And I think it's about just trying at least to shop responsibly. So that's Stacey Dooley there, just talking to high street shoppers about things that they've purchased and how much water has gone into growing the cotton that has gone into making those garments. And that was one of the things that really struck me when I was doing the research for my assignment, particularly in relation to jeans. And there's lots of infographics on the internet that talk about how much water goes into making jeans. And so I just wanted to pick up on a few of those stats just to reiterate those. So it takes 10,000 litres of water to create one kilogram of cotton. And that means that it's creating roughly 8,000 litres of water to create one pair of jeans. 
8,000 litres of water. I can't, I can't get my head around that. That's just massive to create one pair of jeans. And I'm sure many of you have got more than one pair of jeans in your cupboard or your drawers or your wardrobe. And jeans are probably the worst example, really, of the kind of clothes that we buy that are creating the biggest impact. Now, Levi's are obviously doing a lot of work in this area. And if you go on their website, they talk a lot about the initiatives that they've got for recycling water and regenerating the water that they use in their process. And they've got that down to 3,000 litres of water to produce a single pair of jeans. But 3,000 litres is still massive. And the other thing that struck me about jeans was... What other kind of product do we buy where we ask somebody to distress it and wreck it and pay more money for that? So with our jeans, they're made and they're dyed and that's a, that's a very horrible process, to be honest, in terms of the environment because a lot of that dye waste goes back into, into the, the rivers and streams that some populations are using as their main supply of water, which is horrible that that's polluting those. But that aside, then what we do is we take them to a, a place where somebody sandblasts them. That whole sandblasting process creates loads of dust, which means it's not a very good environment for people to work in, to take a lot of that, that colour out again. And then we rub them down with some more sandpaper to create distressing and to put holes in them. Now, can you imagine if you went to buy a new TV and the guy said to you, yeah, you can have this big 50-inch screen TV um, and it's £800. But what we can do is we can just kick it around the warehouse for a little while and just scuff it up a bit um, and then we'll charge you another 200 quid for it. It just doesn't make any sense. So this whole fashion around distressed jeans and you know sandblasting um, and stonewashing and all that kind of stuff, we really have to start asking questions about some of those processes because one, we're paying for somebody to wreck our clothes and two, we're adding value and making it you know a, a negative impact on the environment just to do that. So that's something that really struck me as it just makes no sense. Now, I know in the more recent years, there have been more publicity and more documentaries about fast fashion on the TV and on the radio. And I know people like Stacey Dooley have been able to kind of publicise some more about that, but it really just scrapes the surface. And so I think the more that we bring this into the conversation and the more we raise awareness, the more people can continue to make those choices if that's what they want to do, but they can also look at alternatives. So that leads me on to the next point. So aside from the impact that fast fashion is having on the environment, the kind of second thing that really upsets me about the fashion industry is a lot of the negative press that it gets around the treatment of its workers. And there, there's so much on this topic and I couldn't cover it just in half an hour in a podcast. But just to give you some examples, so... In 2013, a factory in Bangladesh, which was renowned for making a lot of the fashion that went to the Western world, the Rana Plaza factory, uh, collapsed. And there was an explosion and it killed 1,100 people. Um, and it injured another 2,500 people. That's one disaster. And this was not a one-off in terms of injuries and deaths within the fashion industry. So between 2006 and 2012, more than 500 Bangladeshi garment workers died in factory fires. And none of that was even covered in the news. There was no news pieces on that. We never got told about that. And it still hasn't <laughs> dampened our enthusiasm to buy a lot of this fast fashion product. 
And so I don't know where we begin to um, start to change people's perceptions of that other than to be having these kind of conversations and to be raising this into people's awareness because this hasn't stopped. And quite recently, just in the UK, there was uproar around the factories in Leicester being used by Boohoo, paying the workers half of minimum wage and getting them to all work in conditions that were not suitable for COVID social distancing and so on. So this isn't even a thing that, you know, that was... The Rana Plaza was seven years ago, but it's not it's not changed. You know, the conditions haven't really significantly improved in this sector. And whilst we might think, oh, it's overseas and it's somebody else's problem, it's not. You know, in the UK, this is happening on our doorstep, under our noses, and we have to, you know, we have to start paying attention and doing something about it. As a society, we seem to undervalue or devalue the jobs typically done by women, regardless of the skill level involved in doing them. Now, you don't have to just take my view on that or my word for that. So there's a film called Made in Dagenham in which the lead character, Rita O'Grady, who works in the Ford Motor Company plant in Dagenham, and despite performing the specialised task of sewing upholstery for car seats, women are classified as unskilled labour and paid much less than their male counterparts. So, encouraged by a sympathetic union representative, Rita brings the women's grievances to Ford. The meeting doesn't go very well, and the company's not very receptive to their requests, and so it ends up in one of the longest strikes that the uh, motor industry has seen, resulting in the um, Equal Pay Act that was brought in in the 1970s. I'll put a link to the Made in Dagenham trailer into the show notes, but here's just a little short clip that I really love from the trailer. pay for women is right. That's my girl. What if Mrs Castle says no deal? How will you cope then? Cope? We're women. Now don't ask such stupid questions. Even though the women were doing skilled work, they were perceived as being unskilled, I think, because they were women and... And that also hasn't really changed. And so if you look at the roles that are typically done by women, they are generally paid less. And I was just looking at some local examples to see if I could find something, an equivalent uh, for today. And I wanted to compare a CNC machinist who runs the machines for industrial factories versus an industrial sewing machinist. Now, I've done both of those things. As my apprenticeship as an engineer, I ended up having to be able to work a CNC machine, so I know what's involved in that and I've also used industrial sewing machines and to me the level of skill required is on a par. Yes you have to be able to know how to use the different tools which is the same for both roles but with a CNC machine once it's programmed you pretty much just have to run it. You have to know how to program it but the machine keeps the consistency whereas I went for an interview with a local company for a sewing machinist job and one of the things that they set as their tasks is that their machinists can make a t-shirt in 12 minutes, assemble a t-shirt in 12 minutes. Now I don't know about you, if you've, if you've ever even tried sewing then you'll know that that's that's no mean feat at all. And this isn't just to make one t-shirt in 12 minutes, this is to carry on making t-shirts for eight hours a day in 12 minutes with the level of consistency that will pass a quality test about the sizing and the quality of the stitching and the accuracy of the stitching. And so that, to me, is a skilled job. And whilst it might be repetitive, it still requires a skill because there is you, there is no machine controlling the accuracy of that. It's just the person and their own ability. 
And so uh, when I was comparing the salaries for those two jobs, the banding for the CNC machinist usually started around £10, £10 to £16 an hour. But for a sewing machinist, it's between eight and well, eight pounds seventy-two, which is our currently our minimum wage in the UK, and twelve pounds an hour. And again, while that might not sound like much of a difference, over the course of a month, that equates to two hundred pounds a month, which is thirteen percent difference in salary for what I consider to be a similar skilled role. And that's that's just one example, you know. So the roles that we that have typically been done by women, because we don't make a big song and dance about it, I think generally are undervalued and underappreciated. But the only people that can give them value are you and I. We as the consumer have to start to recognise the value associated with things. And it breaks my heart to see on Facebook adverts for big sort of full circle skirt dresses for £5. Because I know that, you know, even in the countries where the average salary is a lot lower than here, by the time you factored in the fabric, the marketing, the website, the overheads, all the other things, then I'm pretty sure, (laughs) hands down, somebody, more than one person is being exploited in that chain. So just think about what you're buying and think about the value of it to you um, and also what's gone into it. So it's important that we start to recognise as well and understand what goes into some of the products that we buy and pay attention to that. And it's, you know, like I mentioned in the in the intro, it's not a good enough excuse to say, oh, well, you know, I don't know. Ignorance is no defence. And I really want, you know, all of us to become more conscious about our buying decisions and the impact that that's having. And so the last reason is much more fun around why I think we should start to make our own clothes. And that is that I think uh, we're we're losing something from society in terms of our the time that we spend on ourselves and also the time that we spend um, with our families. If your job is anything like mine used to be, then you spend a lot of time in front of a computer. And the downside of that is that it's not hugely creative necessarily. And One of the things that I used to really enjoy was being able to, after work or at the weekends, spend time away from the computer, just spending time doing something that I could enjoy, something that was creative, something that would connect me back with my creativity. The way that I learned to sew was that my mum taught me and at the time we were lucky enough, I would say, to only have four channels on the TV and so there wasn't a huge amount of other options for entertainment. I didn't have a computer or a phone, you know, an iPhone or anything like that. And so as my mum made clothes and did sewing and did knitting, because I was sitting there and I was bored enough, then I just started to say, well, teach me, you know, I want to do that. And with all these other distractions that we now have, which are amazing, don't get me wrong, I love technology, but we never really have an opportunity to get bored enough to think, I'd like to learn, you know, or share somebody else's hobby or passion. And so I really want to make sure that we are able to still hand down some of these skills to the younger generations and to be passing on some of those opportunities to be self-sufficient and to have control over what you wear and what you make and even if that's just making things for your own like I did as a child like make things for your own bedroom or for your dolls or any of those kind of things I think those skills are really important. So these all might seem like really big problems and to me sometimes it can feel overwhelming to think well there's only me what impact can I have and how can I make a difference 
Well, the first thing that making your own clothes will do is it will reduce your demand on the fast fashion industry and it will reduce the number of clothes that are being bought. So if each of us bought maybe two less garments a year, then that's still going to make a difference. And it might not sound like a lot, but if you can just make two versus buy two and then maybe just decide not to buy another two, uh, because we don't always need everything that we think we need, and understanding a little bit more about your style and what suits you and combining clothes with one another to make outfits can all make your wardrobe much more versatile with fewer good pieces. And so some of the stuff that we're covering during these podcasts and in some of the training is really aimed at getting you a more workable wardrobe of clothes so that you don't have to buy as many things to reduce this huge consumption that we have of fashion at the moment. Now that may not be you and if it isn't then fantastic and if you don't buy lots of clothes then brilliant and thank you very much for your contribution but equally we can start to also put pressure on the fashion brands for the stuff that even we do buy to encourage better quality, encourage clearer transparency of the supply chain because one of the things that's really difficult is that even if you think you're buying from a sustainable brand it's so hard to go all the way back through the supply chain to make sure that the workers are being paid um, fairly that, and with good conditions and that all of the fabric has been produced in a eco-friendly way from the growing process to the laundering process to the manufacturing process. So that doesn't really exist in the fashion industry at the moment and I think as consumers we can start to apply more pressure and I'll put some links um, in the show notes for um, some of the ways that you can find out more about doing that. The other thing that making your own clothes does, it definitely slows you down. So I definitely can't make a t-shirt in 12 minutes. <laughs> There's no way, even now. So, But it isn't really about that either. It's about enjoying the process and not just focusing on the finished outcome. And for me, taking time to make a garment and putting my sort of heart and soul into it if you like gives me a stronger appreciation for that garment and it makes me want to wear it more makes me want to keep it longer it makes me want to take better care of it and I think we should be looking at all of our clothes in that way you know thinking somebody else took time and effort to make these garments and we need to really start to look after those and when we just become a culture of wear once and throw away or wear a couple of times and throw away then we're not really valuing the skill that's gone into making that garment and you know the the effort that 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 involves and so what I found when I was teaching dressmaking was one of the key things that people were astounded by we used to do make a dress in a day or make a dress in a couple of days that kind of thing and just the sheer number of processes involved in making a dress now not every individual in the fashion industry does all of those processes they have lots of people in that chain which goes back to my point earlier around you know just to make one dress involves somebody setting up the pattern somebody cutting it out somebody assembling it somebody quality checking it there's so many people and for a fiver there's no way any of those are getting paid what they're worth so So as you start to come to make your own clothes, you get a greater sense of, you know, well, I have to understand how to pin this pattern accurately and to cut it out accurately and to assemble it and to get it to fit and to be consistent in my stitching. And all of those steps and processes take time. And I think they just give you a greater sense of the skill level that's involved. And what struck me about the Made in Dagenham film was one of the key parts of it is that she's taken some of the pieces of the coverings for the chair that they have to make out of leather 
and they get no instructions. They literally just get a set of pieces given to them and they have to work out how they're meant to be assembled. Um, and she just throws them onto the desk to the Ford guy that they're trying to explain to, you know, why this is a skilled job. And she just throws them at him and says, right, you assemble those then. If you If it's so easy, you do it. And it clearly isn't so easy. You know, that's the point is that this is a skilled practice in putting these things together and we need to recognise the, the value in that uh, and appreciate that a lot more. And so the final reason why I think making your own clothes will save the world is that the, the more tuned in we are with ourselves, the, the happier we are. And each person that we then connect with or whose lives we touch will sense that. And that comes from having time for yourself. And we talked about this in the um, earlier podcast with Amber Allworth around as women, we're often, we put our, our needs second to others. That's the nature of caring for others. And there are some men who do that too, don't get me wrong. But I think predominantly women tend to put their needs second. And that means that we're often filling our time with other people's needs and requirements before we do our own. We, so we don't get a lot of me time. And that means that we don't often recharge ourselves and that can deplete our energy. And when we're depleted, then we get cross and angry and short-tempered and frustrated. And if you're anything like me, then I definitely know when I've not had enough sleep or I've not had enough time to myself because I end up snapping at other people and it's not who I want to be and it's not where I want to be and it doesn't make their day great. And if you just think about an occasion where you've been innocently kind of going through your day and somebody out of the blue has had a go at you, maybe you are in the supermarket and you went to reach for something and somebody got really cross with you uh, in the queue or something like that, it has a big impact on your day because if you if you like me, I'm kind of thinking about it for the next couple of hours, wondering, you know, what did I do and could I have prevented that and why did that happen and that wasn't very nice and I didn't really enjoy that experience and, I, well, you know, who are they to say that to me and so on and so forth. And, and so I carry that into my day and then people that I interact with, I'm not giving them my full attention, um, I'm not being myself, I'm not very happy because I'm distracted by the impact that somebody I didn't even know has had on my day but turning that around if you're that person if you're the person who's being short-tempered or has had a go at somebody or has you know given them a grumpy look or you know somebody's innocently asked you how your day is and you've gone into a tirade of how awful your week was and so on and so forth then then that's not a great environment to be in and so the more that we can be present and the more that we can be happy all the people that we connect with, that will affect their day. It's the butterfly effect. You know, we do have a, an impact on those around us. And I think taking time to sew and being happy in what you wear and being comfortable and confident, that you can then be much more supportive of the people around you. But you have to do that for you first before you can do that for them, I believe. And, you know, making your own clothes is one step towards doing that. It gives you me time. It gives you time to focus on you. It builds a skill. And there was a report and some suggestions in a dressmaking blog about six reasons why sewing benefits your mental health. And the first, the first reason is it gives you some selfish me time. The second is you spend time away from smart devices, preventing sensory overload. So it allows you to connect more with creativity. You can be mindful and it's kind of meditative when you get into sewing, particularly if you're doing something that you have perhaps made a couple of before, then you just kind of get into the zone with that and you can just sew and just really enjoy it. 
you accomplish something so it gives you a sense of achievement learning a new skill can be tough but that sense of achievement when you put that garment on and somebody says to you wow that looks amazing I can't believe you made that it's just it's it's amazing it's fabulous and also improving your body image and increasing your self-confidence which we talked on earlier so that's also mentioned in this list of six things so making things that fit you that you've chosen you know that are designed just for you that you know are unique there's a lot of power in that and it can be a coping strategy because it can also provide a distraction from if you are struggling you know these have been difficult times and people have been feeling you know isolated and so this gives you something that you can share that in the communities with other sewers there's a lot of great facebook groups out there now where people are getting lots of help and support from those you know even virtually even if you haven't got somebody uh, close to you but also i would encourage you to start looking at ways that you can share this with your friends and family you know can you set up a, a little local sewing group can you help one another and also going back to the point that i was saying earlier around passing this on to generations you know have you got young teenagers in your household that would benefit from learning a new skill something creative even if it's just designing something and then you help them make it or they you make it you know just having that connection and a project that you can work on together can be hugely rewarding and it can give you a connection you can just work together on it and get some enjoyment out of it so that's my case for the defense I would say And I really do believe that by making these small changes um, for a wide enough population that it would make a difference. I think the impact of fast fashion on our environment is is awful. You know, we need to acknowledge that that is not that's that's not something that we want to continue. And so, you know, do think about what you're buying. But it doesn't mean that you can't wear beautiful clothes. But if you make something yourself, you're going to have a stronger sense of appreciation. And you're going to also hopefully value the people who make the clothes that you wear a lot more and the skill, the skill level that's involved. So that's all I have for you for this week. So hopefully that's given you a few things to think about. Sorry, I know it was a little bit soapboxy, but it is something that's really um, close to my heart and I am passionate about it. I think the impact of fast fashion is horrendous and we do need to tackle that. And if you can do that one garment at a time or one person at a time, then let's try and do that. So if you have any comments or suggestions or feedback on today's episode, then I'd love to hear them. Either leave me a review or you can also head over to the Facebook group, So Much More Fun, um, and post your information there. If it's inspired you and you do want to start to learn to sew, then I'm going to be releasing some new training videos shortly. So you can email me for more information, hello at so much more fun.co.uk, or if you join the Facebook group, So Much More Fun, or like the Facebook page, Um, at so much more fun then you'll get details of when those are released it's been great to be able to talk to you about this topic today I hope you have got some enjoyment out of it and it has given you a little bit of inspiration and something to think about check out the show notes in the description area of your podcast app and click to follow or subscribe or head over to sewmindful.com forward slash podcast which is s-e-w-m-i-n-d-f-u-l dot com where you can also sign up for an email reminder so that you don't miss out on any juicy episodes. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, then please help others find us by leaving a review if you love this episode. And finally, if you have a question, feedback or a topic you'd like me to investigate, then you can also email me at hello at somuchmorefun.co.uk. So until next time, stay gorgeous and have so much more fun.